Aaron uh, was famously known as the Duke of Udo. Um, Udo is a, is a village or, or perhaps a community um, somewhere in today's Edo states. It still exists today. Um, this was around the 15th century. That's when he existed. Um, he was the son of um, Oba Ozolwa. And uh, he, he had a stepbrother. He had a stepbrother, uh, uh, Oba um, Esigi. That was his name, Esigi, yes. Um, so what happened between him and his brother was that they were born on the same day. They were born on the same day with different mothers. Um, but Aaron didn't cry at, uh, at birth, which was, which was deemed uh, an abomination in, in Bini culture. So in, in a situation where I think of even twin births, right? Whoever cries first is deemed the first, is deemed the older one. Mm-hmm. So I think this takes some kind of contrast or similarity to the Yoruba culture as well about like twin births. I think the one comes second regarded as the first child or the older one but yeah in Bini culture it takes a similarity but it's a difference like the one who cries first regardless of the time they came out the one who cries first is the is regarded as the older one so this was our story so Orama grew up to be you know a prince the son of Obao Zolwa but um, his brother his younger brother Esige technically his younger brother was um, treated as the heir of the throne he was he was raised to be king um, so Aaron grew with some kind of um, anger of how unfair he was being treated because everyone knew he was the first child. Everyone knew he was meant to be king. Aaron grew up to be a giant, right? Uh, what mm-hmm. today, modern times, we regard as a giant. He was extremely tall, big, and he was famously known to sweep with trees sometimes, like, you know, mm-hmm. use trees to sweep. So imagine how large that kind of person was. So that was his, um, that was an illustration of his physicality. Um, Anyway, he grew up with the city and uh, eventually Oba Ozolwa then passed. When Oba Ozolwa died, there was a bit of a tension of who would be king. Although Esige was has always been raised and seen as a king, but you know, there, there was some form of justice that, that came in place that Aaron should be also the king. So they left it for between both of them to decide. The elders, in their wisdom, decided they were going to make it um, some sort of competition where uh, between Esege and Ara, whoever gives the father an appropriate burial would be king. So when I was in school, I learned that they made two coffins, two caskets, one filled with stones and the other filled with the body, right? Mm-hmm. But when I got to the Abbas Palace, they told me that it wasn't actually filled with stones. It was filled with bronze, bronze artworks and so many other treasures. That's what one coffin was, coffin was a casket or was filled with and the other one was actually Obozolo's body. So when Ara aggressively, you know, went there and he picked up the first casket and it felt too light for him. And then he felt, you know, my father, a whole king can't be this light in his casket. So he lifted the other one and it was very heavy. And he said, yes, this is it. And then he put it, I don't know, whether on the shoulder on his head and he took it and he went to give it a fifteen bear because that's what he told was his father. Well, what he didn't realize was that he carried the bronze. That's why it was heavy. Carried the the casket full of bronze. And Esige, Esige, in his own, you know, with his own lack of choice, because his brother said just took the other one that was left and gave that one a bit of fifteen burial. And that was actually their father's body. And that was when the elders um, recognized Esige as their king. And I think Aaron came back uh, to meet a coronation of his brother. 
And um, in anger, he went back to Udo because even before Ozolua died, he wanted Aaron to feel compensated. That's why he gave him the title as the Duke of Udo, the um, a, a village. He he made, you know he he said and put Aaron as the leader there as a form yeah. of compensation. Yeah, you know, he, he. I feel. I feel. I feel. He felt that Anwar didn't feel satisfied and was fair, so he had to give him something. He wanted to give Anwar something fair, like something just in terms of okay, you're not going to be king even though you're meant to be, but I'll give mm-hmm. you a portion when you rule over. Right. Mm-hmm. So what happened was that when ACG became king, when his brother became king, his brother decided that um, he wanted to take over, take over um, Udo. And he wanted to make Udo the capital of the Benin Empire, right? Yeah. So, Aaron was angered by this, and um, he declared war on his brother. He declared war on his brother, on the Oba Um So, I think the, the the war lasted for days, or last for some days, which Aaron uh, lost one of his sons. And then on the final battle, uh, he told told his wife. So the son, everyone should stay back home. Um, he had a magical bell. I think even on the bronze artworks, beneath bronze artworks, most of the warriors have a bell on them, like a royal bell. And, you know, if you hear the sound, well, according to Aaron's stories, that if his family hears the sound of the bell, they should know that he has been defeated. Right? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what he told them to do, but yeah, they should know he has been defeated. So... What happened was that um, when he went out to fight the battle, the final battle with his brother, uh, he told his son, uh, the name goes, the name is spelled Onioni, but I feel like maybe it's pronounced different, like um, Onioni, or I don't know how to pronounce the name exactly, but it's it's practically Onioni. Mm. Onioni, I don't know how to pronounce it, sorry. But he told his son to stay back home. And when he went out for the, to the battle, he saw someone fighting just like him, um, fighting so fiercely. And um, he said a word. I can't remember. The word is in Benin. It's recorded in Benin or something like that. And then he struck the person to death like with his sword. He killed the person. And when he killed the person, that's when he realized that was his son. When he only came out, regardless of his father's advice and no wanting to stay back home, he came out to support his father at the, at the war front. And Aaron accidentally killed him. And Aaron, knowing what he had done, um, he decided to run back home. He felt defeated. He felt he had lost everything. He has lost all his sons to the war. Uh, he started he started um, going back home or something. And then uh, I think his wife heard the bell. She heard this magical mm-hmm. bell. And then she, she, well, I think at the news of the death of her son, at the news of the death of Onyoni, and hearing the bell, she then this, she knew she felt that they had lost the war, so she jumped into a river. She went and jumped into a river. She killed herself in the process. Um, and then um, Ara arriving home realized that he'd lost his family. You know, he'd lost his sons, and then realizing his wife was no more, he went to the lake across, and he jumped into the lake, and. Um, in the process, he he took off his royal bead. There was a bead that he wears, and that bead is only worn by high-class royalties. That's by the king or by a very high authority, something like Aaron's authority. Understand? So no one else can wear that bead. 
So before he put down the tree and then he jumped into the lake. Um, so Isigye arrived at the lake. Um, I, they chased Amrad down and he arrived at the lake where Amrad had jumped in, believing his brother was dead and wanting more for uh, a victory, a trophy. You understand the necklace? He saw the necklace dangling over the tree, like hanging on the tree. He took the necklace mm-hmm. and he wore it. He wore it as a victory, as a tro- as a trophy, more or less. You know, like when you kill, you defeat an enemy and you wear something that belongs to them as a sign that, you know, you took this from them like uh, as a, some kind of accolade to yourself. And that's what he did. And that's why when he wore the necklace, um, he ran mad. He went, he went absolutely crazy immediately. He went mad. And um, which, immediately I read that part, maybe I was made to understand that part. I did understand that that was a trap by Aaron. He wanted to play one last trap on his brother. And no matter what he did, no matter the medicines they used and the, the people they consulted, SCG won't come back to his mental consciousness. He was still, was still a mad person. And then uh, Queen Idia then sought um, uh, a medicine man, a native doctor from Ife, somewhere in Ife, I think. Somewhere, I think it was not, I think it was not Ife exactly, but it was something Ife, one of those Yoruba land villages. And she brought him in, and he, he finally, was able to cure SCG of his madness. And um, he was rewarded very generously. Um, that was how Isige came back to his consciousness. Uh, one thing that people do not know about um, Isige is that Isige was such a very, was such a um, was such a vital uh, personality in Benin's history. You know, that's just one part of Isige's story that he had that kind of brother, and he had you know he was part of that story of Aruba. But Isige was the first one to welcome the Portuguese into Benin Kingdom. He built the first mm-hmm. church in Benin. Which, in my own understanding, should have been the first church in Nigeria, actually. Um, and Isige was also the first Christian. In my understanding, too, Isige was supposed to be the first Nigerian Christian. That's not, I mean, recorded or recognized Christian. There might have been some other people before him who probably had interaction with the Western world and converted to Christianity. Um, that's not recorded, but Isige, to my understanding, is the earliest recorded Nigerian to convert to Christianity. Um, so Queen Idia, his mother as well, was a very is a very is a very famous it's a very famous um, personality. A lot of us know her face from her art, which we see at the Festac logo, Unilag logo, um, EBS Edible Casting Station. I think also has a face at the logo. There's so many. There's so many. Even now, social studies textbooks and all those things um, in school, I still remember very well. Queen Idia's face was always among the artworks on the cover of the textbooks and stuff like that. So Quinida was a very vital um, uh, icon in Benin culture's history. And um, she was well known for her sorcery. She had um, mystical powers and she uh, she was fearless. She schooled to war. She was one, she was a warrior queen as well. You know, when you when you talk about the leagues of Queen Amina Ozari and people like that, Queen, Queen Idia of, um, of uh, Benin, also comes in. She was called Ioba. Uh, uh, Ioba. I think that's Ie Oba. That's mother of the Oba. She was the first Ioba. Mm-hmm. That's the queen mother. Um, before then, whenever the king dies, um, the queen would die as well. They'll have to kill the queen, right? But Isige, in love for his mother and how much relation, how much that closeness they had, it was the first king that declared that the mother doesn't have to die when the king dies. So when his father, when Obauzolwa died, 
in Idia didn't have to die with him because Esigeho became king, declared it, and he made her the first Eobas, the queen mother. That's why that role to, to today is recognized as a queen mother. And when I shared that story, one of my followers then shared um, a feedback with me telling me about her friend who has very huge hands and feet, and her brothers too are quite huge in in their physicalities as well. And whenever mm-hmm. she teases her about like her hands, she tells her, oh, go and ask the river. And there's a myth about the river till today uh, that's believed that the river should not be disturbed. Don't throw stones into the lake. Don't do anything to the river because um, I think I also read about something about a story of in the 50s, a boy shot a catapult and the stone fell into the river and there was a tremble. You understand? So a lot of people believe that Aaron is still alive inside the lake. Although in school, when I asked the question, the teacher told me that, nah, there's no, there's no way someone has been in the river for that long and will still be alive. But um, a lot of people, especially people from Udo, um, I had one of my followers as well who told me that his mom is from Benin and he has heard stories about the, the village Udo. And if you go there, they will tell you the story very vividly. It's a very common story about them. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that lake is a very sacred lake to them. And, you know, a lot of them believe that he's still alive in there and stuff. So... Uh, when I was first told the story, I was told that story by a friend. Before I learned it in school, I was first told that story by a friend. I was, I think, I was in just one, and it was told to me as a very scary story. And you know, my my image of Anna was a very scary person. But uh, the more I understood, the more I understood that it was a very normal story. So it was a, it was a very, it was a much existing story, something that really happened. And um, Bini historians, everyone will always recorded that it happened. That's what we've been taught in school. This was recorded and it was believed to have happened. So that's the story of Amra. Hey, are there stories from your culture you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Share with me by saying hello on Twitter and Instagram at etashelinto. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And could you spare a minute to review and subscribe to this podcast? It would go a long way to helping others join the conversation. Until next time, love truly and enjoy your life.